we've been on a journey about what it looks like if we devote ourselves to God as a house. And the word that he's given us for this year is devotion. And we're going to change things up a little bit. We moved last week into the dynamic demonstration part of devotion. But for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the joy that comes in devoting ourselves to God. And we're going to find it again in the example of the first church in the book of Acts. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this joy. Do you guys believe this? Okay. Be joyful for a minute, please. Well, I am utterly and deeply convinced. Should we try that again? Just be joyful for a minute. I wish you could see your faces. Like, it's trying really hard. The thing about joy, and we're going to discover it over these next few weeks, is it's something that God does in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And when I study the book of Acts and the first church, we see that these people were just walking in it nonstop to the end. They were just overcome with God's joy. They didn't try and muster it up. They didn't try like this morning, get together and say, okay guys, let's have joy. And then they're like, woo. It was something deeply inside of them that was a benefit and a fruit of them devoting themselves to God. And as a leadership we prayed about this and said, let's talk about this for a few weeks. Let's, let's look at the beauty of the New Testament church and, and how they were so appealing to the world and inviting because they were just filled with God's joy. The devotion of the first church resulted in true joy. And that's my prayer for us this morning, is that as we devote ourselves to God, we would find true joy. Not the moments of happiness that our shopping spree gives us, not the moment of, of happiness that we have when we have a brine on Friday night, but a true joy, a scriptural, biblical joy that comes by being devoted to Jesus Christ. A couple of verses in the book of Acts that speaks about this. I love this one. It says, there was a great joy in the city. As the people went about and there was dynamic demonstration of signs and wonders, and Tash just did a fantastic job last week to speak about it, the result was great joy. When I look at Somerset West, just driving in the traffic, I'm not sure I see that. But I believe as a church, as we keep devoting ourselves to God and we, we partner with the Holy Spirit in dynamically demonstrating His kingdom, that great joy can come to the city. That the great joy won't be found on our, in our homes that we've built to ourselves. I don't mean within our families, but it would be in God. And then the benefits that He gives to us in a family, we enjoy together. Another scripture says that the disciples were filled with joy. Not just a little bit, a small measure, but shaken up, stirred, overflowing is the joy that the disciples had. Every single day, they just walked in it. They didn't try and wake up the morning and say, let's get joy. So I'm excited. Are you excited about this? That you can experience the fullness of God's joy. And we're going to discover this morning, and we're going to start here, which is the foundation of it, is that there's joy in God's presence. The Bible teaches it. And my goal this morning is to look at that statement that there's joy in God's presence. And we're going to discover two things. We're going to discover the biblical definition of God's presence this morning and what it means. And this is exciting. Just being in the Word this week, studying it, comparing it to Scriptures, looking at it in context, pulling out the big books with the Hebrew words and the Greek words, explaining the presence of God. I was just overcome by understanding how how deeply 
joyful it is to be in God's presence. And then the second thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to see that when the fear of God collides with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we discover true joy. So we're going to be talking about the fear of God this morning. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Thanks, Eugene. He thinks it is. Something that we, as a church, maybe tend to not spend time on. And again, just studying the Word this week and, and trying to understand it better and praying and seeking God, I again recognized and realized how limited our Afrikaans and English and Koza and whatever language you speak really is in comparison to the depths of reaches that we find in the Bible. So I want to encourage you as you, as you look into these things over the next few weeks is to, to read different versions of the Bible to try and understand really what the Word of God says when it speaks about these things. So this morning we're going to discover the biblical definition of being in God's presence. And then secondly, we're going to discover that when fear and the comfort of the Holy Spirit collide in the presence of God, true joy comes to us as believers. One of the most often quoted scriptures with regards to joy and the presence of God is out of Psalm 16 verse 11. Some of you might know this. It says, For in your presence is fullness of joy. And what is amazing is that that very sentence and that very piece of passage was quoted in Acts chapter 2. So here's what happened. The disciples started walking in what Jesus commanded them to walk in. The Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them. And then Peter stood up for the first time he preached the gospel message for the first time. And he stops and he speaks about this and he quotes the psalmist. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 28, it says this, quoting David, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. So here the New Testament church understood that the presence of God is where they're going to find their joy. And he spoke about that. And then throughout the book of Acts and throughout the church thereafter, we see the church constantly getting back to that place of joy, constantly finding themselves within the presence of God. And from that, the fullness and the overflow of joy came. And I want that for my life. I don't know about you. I desperately want that. I want to be able to wake up in the morning and call my heart and turn myself to the presence of God for that joy to rise up. I want to be able to go to bed at night and put my head on the pillow and say, thank you, God, for your presence being with me. I've got joy. Even though I've got trials, even though I've got hardships, the Bible says that we should count it joy when we fall into various trials. I believe it's possible. And the New Testament church showed and modeled that to us. The word presence, as quoted from 1611, and also as found in most occurrences in the Bible, is the word panah in the Hebrew. And this means to be turned, to be in front of, and to face. So I want to talk about this for a minute. As I think there's a lot that we say about the presence of God, which is good and it's great, but it's mostly the benefits that we discuss when we talk about the presence of God. The benefit of the presence of God is fullness of joy. The benefit of the presence of God is that we experience peace. The benefit of the presence of God is that we have sometimes a real physical experience of Him. But scripturally and biblically, the word presence means when we turn towards, when we change our position to face God. Because if we say that the presence of God is only present certain moments and certain times, 
we are unscriptural. Because the Bible teaches that He is everywhere. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. I love this, the, the, the scriptures in, 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 in the book of Psalms. It says, where can I go from your presence? There's nowhere I can hide. But the key for us and the key that the New Testament church knew and what Peter was preaching about is, do we stop and turn to face God? Every single time the word presence is used in the Bible, it speaks about that action. So this is never a complacent action where we just sit back and we just say, God, you do what you do. We actually have to take an action, it's an active word, and turn towards and face Almighty God. Isn't that amazing? And that's what He has available for us. I thought about this in the context of worship. That's why so often in our times of worship and our together, when we sing, we experience Him a little more intense, right? Like this morning. I ask myself the question, why is that? Well, it's simply because 400 hearts in a room have decided for the next 30 minutes that we're all going to change our position and turn towards facing Him. And it's in that when we see His face, now our, our spirit man connects with Almighty God because we chose to turn towards Him that we have these incredible encounters of God. And we call it being in the presence of God. And that is good. So I want to start by saying this morning that the New Testament church understood their position before God. They understood that in order for them to fulfill everything Jesus said, they need to daily turn their lives to face Almighty God and from that position move on. Therefore, the presence of God is a matter of position. It's not a matter of place or feeling. It's when we say as a church, you know what, God, the best place to be, like David said, is in your courts, it's in your presence. I can be a thousand days at any other brilliant place, but when I quiet my soul and I turn towards you, I pana towards you, I bow and bend myself towards you, there's nothing that gives me joy like that. There's nothing that fulfills me like that. So that's the one part of the message this morning. It's about the presence of God. And, and that's what we've been praying for since we planted this church, is that people will experience that, that I and we would see you guys turn your lives constantly towards the Father. He's willing for you to experience Him. Are you going to put action to that and turn so that you can experience Him? He's willing for you to enjoy the benefits of joy and peace and welfare. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to turn away from all the demands of the world and say, God, I choose today to face you. The New Testament church did just that. And then we read further on in the book of Acts. And this is the second part of what I want to share with you this morning. And what we're going to discuss. It's in Acts 9.31. It says, So the church throughout had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it's multiplied. Isn't that amazing? They had peace. And that word peace is the Greek word which is derived from the Hebrew word shalom, which means to have full welfare in life. To be fully complete and okay and in a position of total rest. So, so they had that because of two things. They understood and walked in the fear of God. And they also understood and walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
And this morning I'm going to attempt to speak about these two things and show you how these two things come together and how that sparks joy in our lives. I had an encounter with the fear and the comfort this morning at about one o'clock. Alika had a friend staying over for a sleepover, Ariana, Eugene, and Marla's little daughter. And at about one o'clock, she needed the bathroom, but there were no lights on in the house. So as a little one would do, they would go to the parentals. In tonight, last night's case, it was us. Her parents weren't there. We were fast asleep, unaware of this little girl's need. And after me sleeping, I woke up and realized something is terribly wrong. And she's standing next to the bed, just staring at me like this. And for a moment, I responded in fear. I couldn't get out a word. I just bumped Helena. I'm like, I was, I was quite scared because I didn't expect seeing a little individual just staring me down. And then the moment I realized it is a, a, a frail seven-year-old, I had comfort. <laughs> and Helena tried, helped her. She got up. She did the job. I was a little bit paralyzed. But there's this beautiful tension that, that throughout the Bible, when people are in the fullness of God's presence, and we're going to look at some examples today, where for a minute they're like, oh, God, you, I can't even look. Some of them fell flat on the floor. They just, oh, and they said, I'd rather die because what I'm seeing now is, and they just kept looking the other way. There's a beautiful beautiful scripture in Lamentations that says, I put my hand over my mouth. I'm just going to be, we sang it this morning, I'm going to be in your presence, God. I'm not going to say much. My words are going to be few. And then we see every time how God responds to those flat on their face before God and he comes with his comfort. Every single time. Our scripture for the year that we've been looking at is out of Acts chapter 2. And we saw that it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the word of God, to pray and the breaking of breads. And then it says, and fear came upon every soul. Yet we choose to omit that word in the church today, shall we? Because we don't want to scare people off and we don't want to talk about the fear of God. But throughout the Bible, beginning to end, we see it right in the beginning with Adam and Eve where they sinned and they turned away from his presence. The presence of God is turning to Adam and Eve turned away from it because they had the fear of God on them. And then in Revelations, right at the end, we see John in the presence of God and he says, I'm just going to fall flat and dead. We should not omit that. We should understand it. We should stop to say as a church, God, what does this mean? Because in that is fullness of life. In that is fullness of joy. The fear of the Lord does not mean to be scared of him. I want to explain this to you in a minute. Again, our limited English and Afrikaans languages, whatever language you speak, we miss some of the nuances and definitions of original Hebrew and, and, and Greek words because we don't see the fullness of it. Nowhere in the Bible, there's another Hebrew word that speaks about being scared, but never in reference to God. Whenever the word, the fear of God comes up, it speaks about being completely overwhelmed. It speaks about being totally blown away. And I've asked myself the question, when last well, were I completely overwhelmed by God? Completely blown away in His presence. The word fear 
in the New Testament, when it speaks about them walking in the fear of God, actually means literal fear. But it doesn't mean to be scared. And to try and explain this to you, if someone runs up to me with a knife trying to stab me, I'm going to be scared, right? I'm going to be hiding. And, and, and the thing with being scared versus fear is being scared paralyzes you. But these people walked in the fear of the God. So there were no paralyzing. They were action constantly understanding the fear of God. I like to, to give people a good skrik. I'm one of those wannabe pranksters that do stuff. And sadly, to my dear wife's demise, she's usually the object of my skrikness. And uh, Alika started to join in. So there's many moments where we hide, and then Elena comes home and is like, bah! And the response I see every time is a moment of paralyzing for Elena. It's just, just <gasps> but then it always, maybe sometimes three minutes after, it manifests in a massive slap on my head or on my back. <laughs> so don't ever give her a fright because you're going to get the smack of your life. But I've seen it. When you give people a fright like that, they become totally paralyzed. Have you guys experienced that? That's not what the fear of God is. In fact, you're going to see today when that is linked with comfort, it's a beautiful moment of joy that's going to come to us. So it's not being scared. It's not being paralyzed. Again, one of the scriptures we love to quote is, for God didn't give us a spirit of? Wrong word. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity and cowardice. So we would look at that, and hopefully we, we read that, and then we would read, they walked in the fear of God, and we think, whoa, 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 something is missing here. These two seem to oppose one another. It's in those moments when we delve a little deeper. In our study where we say, God, show me, God, what does this mean? Second Timothy 1 verse 7 speaks about us not being like this in the state of this world, but that we would have power and love and a sound mind because of who we are in Christ Jesus. It's not the word fear, it's timidity and cowardice, different root word. So therefore, I want to encourage you by showing you these examples that it's good to go and study a little bit deeper what things mean. We're quick to read a book, we're quick to listen to an opinion, but do we go and study and understand for ourselves what it means? Another word that describes the fear of God is the word reverence. And what I've seen is that we, we say it's either or. It's the fear of God or it's reverence. And I want to encourage you this morning to show, that, show you that the Bible says it's not the fear or reverence, it's fear and reverence. The moment you come into the presence of Almighty God and you experience that, which every time is the biblical experience that people had, a certain reverence rise up in our hearts. And then we want to honor Him for who He is and not who we make Him to be. Then we want to rightfully and rightly stand before him and praise him. So a couple of examples out of the word of God. This is in Revelations. This is in the New Testament. I've heard it said also that because of the cross, we should not have the fear of God in our lives. We, why do we still have the fear of God? Because the cross made us worthy. It is in the New Testament. The New Testament church walked in it. So let's understand it. Here it is in the book of Revelation. And John, the author of Revelation, says this, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like 
burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Not just hello, the roar of many waters. Imagine all the noise of all the seas and all the waves crashing at once. That was the voice of God that spoke to John. And he didn't just flippantly stand there saying, oh, this is good. Let's see what he did. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. The comfort comes in. We see this in the life of Mary. The angel appears to her and she is fearful. She looks away and the angel says, fear not. We see it in Isaiah chapter 6 where he has already prophesied the decrees of God. And he comes into the presence of God and he says, woe is me, I should rather die. And God says, fear not. We see it with Abraham when he's in the presence of God. He looks away and God says, don't be scared. We see it in the life of Moses where he meets God at the burning bush and he is fearful. And then God responds with comfort. And that's the beauty of what I'm trying to encourage you with this morning. In Job chapter 32 and 33, this poor guy has lost everything and God allowed it in his life. And his wise and aged friends try to console him with terrible wisdom. And here's a young guy who the Spirit of God chose, his name was Elihu, and God's Spirit came upon him and he gave him stuff to say to Job. And he comes into the presence of all these wise and old men and he says, wisdom doesn't come through age. Wisdom comes because of the Spirit that is in man. And he says, the Spirit of Almighty God is in me and he stands there boldly because God has got a word for him to bring to Job. But before he utters the word of God, he says something very interesting. He turns to Job and he says, you know what? Before I say what I want to say, I want to remind you that just like you, I am pinched off from a piece of clay. If you can imagine for a minute, this is a piece of clay. I made it this morning, becoming quite domesticated. Alika can't wait to play with it. That's why she's in the sermon. I'm going to give it to her after I use the illustration. The Bible says, Elohim told Job, just like you, I'm pinched off a piece of clay. Sometimes we, we count ourselves in the presence of God like this. God, that's you, this is me. Doesn't the Bible teach in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28 and 29 that we shouldn't be boastful in the presence of God? That pride can't stand? That we shouldn't be elevated and elated? And I'll explain to you at the end, hang in there, what the presence of God brings and the benefit of it. But we are a little piece of clay. I've just been off a piece standing there. And maybe not even there, maybe in comparison to the table. But I believe it's even more. Maybe it's in comparison to this hole. Maybe it's in comparison to the school property. Maybe it's in comparison to the whole of Somerset West. When we understand who we are in God's presence, pinched off from a piece of clay. Small little thing like that. Seven billion of us around the world to date or at the current moment around there. 
And he said this to Job. And he said, I understand my position before God. There you go. I understand my position before God is just like you. So I don't count myself higher. I don't count myself anything above you. I don't boast because 1 Corinthians 1.28, God chose the lowly things of this world. Just like you, I stand before God and saying, you are God. You are creator and I'm the creature. And A.W. Tozer speaks about this in his book, The Pursuit of God. Much of our difficulty as seeking Christians stem from our unwillingness to take God as he is and adjust our lives accordingly. We insist upon trying to modify him and to bring him nearer to our own image. And the New Testament church understood this and they said, "Uh uh-uh, not here. Here we would remain in a position where we understand who God is. But then every single time we see these examples throughout the words, people had that encounter with God. God turns his heart towards them as they turned their countenance towards, towards him. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be scared. The first thing God wants to reveal to them is exactly who he is. But in, in that he brings his comfort. He bends down and says, hey you. Don't be, don't, be, don't, don't be scared of this. And that's where comfort and fear collide and come together. And in that lies our joy that this awful God, as the Bible describes him, chooses to dwell in us by his spirit. Doesn't that cause joy in your heart like anything else? That if you had to really see the fullness of God today, you would fall flat on your face. Yet he chooses to within us the lowly things of this life. Place his presence and his power and his Holy Spirit. That to me is the greatest mystery of the gospel. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Come boldly to my throne of grace. But understand it's my throne. Understand who still sits on it and who rules from it. Jesus spoke about the comfort of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15. But when the comforter, the parakletos, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. The word comforter there, the original context is parakletos. And it's literally like being covered in a blanket. So every time we fully in his presence and we understand that he is God and we are pinched off a piece of clay, he comes with his Holy Spirit and he covers us under his blanket. He pulls us in under his wing and we are comforted and we can remain in a place of security and peace and shalom and welfare. That's the beauty of these two things coming together and the New Testament church walked in that. Just as the fear of the Lord is not the same as being scared, the comfort of the Holy Spirit is not the same as being complacent. The comfort that come didn't tell them to just, just sit there, don't move. In fact, it empowered them to go out into the world. Didn't he say that the comforter is going to bear witness about me? The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to witness to you about the things that I taught you. And the things I taught you is that you can go with my power to the world and make a difference. And he's going to bring you the comfort that you need when you are being persecuted in the moments where people turn their backs on you because you're proclaiming the gospel. 
That's what happened in the New Testament church. They walked in reverence and understanding who God is and their position towards God, but they also understood their position in the Holy Spirit, and then they had peace and they multiplied. And that is dynamic demonstration at its best. And then we read that the city had great joy. Back to Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is in the presence of God like that. I've said this already. He has already prophesied. The power of God has already rested upon him. And God pulls him right up into his throne room. And he tries to explain with his limited words what he sees. And he says, I see God in a throne. And I see his robe and his entire robe. Everything that he wears fills the entire temple. So I'm immersed in this. And his first response is, woe is me. I ought to die. I can't stand here. And then God bends down. He sends one of the angels to pick up a coal. And the angel moves over to Isaiah and he touches his lips and he says, You are clean. And then what happened is powerful. And this is the crux of what I want to share this morning. God is ready to move us from woe is me to send me. Isaiah responded after that by saying, With the comfort and the power of your spirit, I will go. Here am I, send me. And this is what the New Testament church understood. Is that this Jesus and the example he gave, even in his own walk to the Father, was filled with reverence and understanding. But he said, go with that. I want to show you a quick video. I love this. One of Eliana and my personal favorite verses, because God has used it in our lives. It's Malachi 4 verse 2. And... Um, It's on the screen, it says, But for you who fear my name, there's that word again, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. Have you ever seen a calf running from a stall? Maybe you've not. I'm going to show you this morning what it looks like. But that is exactly what the fear of God does. Again, I'm saying this, being in in that awful place where we see him and understand his fullness, yet he responds in love, yet he responds in saying, I'm going to place my spirit in you. That should make us leap out these doors like calves from a stall for the very first time. The image or the video I'm going to show you is YouTube. You can go look. A calf in the pasture for the first time. And this is what the Bible says the fear of God does. Let's have a quick look at the video. Sorry it's that short. It's quite enjoyable. Who of you wouldn't want to look like that because of what God has done in your lives? Okay, not exactly like that, but you get what I'm saying. What are a ripple in your stop is as gevolg van die vreugde van God op jou leven. The condition here is that you walk in a fear and a knowledge of who God is. Then you will be like a calf who joyfully jumps with the fullness of joy that he has available for you. I love the imagery in the Bible. It's not just a, yay, let's be joyful, yay. It's a leaping. It's a jumping. It's a shouting. It's that 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 thing had on there of joy and excitement and, and experiencing the fullness of it. It's beautiful. So our prayer as a house 
It's just that. Acts 9.31. God, we want peace. We want to be filled with the welfare and the good standing position that you have for us. Because we are walking in the fear of you and in the comfort of your Holy Spirit. So many of us love, and in fact, me as well, we love leaning to the comfort side. And it's good. But we can't just linger there. There needs to be moments where we just quiet. We put our mouth, our hand over our mouth and say, God, there's mysteries I will never get. There's power I would never understand. But in this, I find my joy. That even though you are so big and I'm so small, you place your spirit in me and I can walk in your comfort. Isn't that powerful? This is the cause of my joy. Over the past few weeks, I've had moments with God that is indescribable. I can't describe them to you. Nine out of ten times, it's just flat on the floor without any words. But when I get up, and every single time I get up, there's something in here that no one can take away. That's the joy of God that He has for each one of you. Will you turn to Him? Will you face Him? Will you set your countenance upon Him? Because in that is the fullness of life that He has for each one of you. And this morning, we're going to share a song with you guys that we wrote as a worship team about this very thing. I'm going to read the lyrics to you before the team ministers it. If I can find it, here it is. The song is just called Sovereign God. It speaks about the bigness of God and how incredibly indescribably as yet how very personal he is with each one of us far beyond our simple comprehension near enough to grip our hearts with hope boundless in the splendor of your glory you alone fierce enough to lead us into triumph the armies of God is fierce and it's strong and it leads us into triumph yet he's close enough to make our hearts his home. Matchless is his everlasting mercy, you alone. And in the chorus just says it, and the words are on the screen, O sovereign God, you are all in all. Everything exists in you, everything is by you, everything is created from you. You maintain it all, you keep it all together, you are all in all. You are this, yet sovereign God, you are the anchor of my soul. Personally, and find my strength in this God. That is the beauty of the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as the team sings this this morning, let's respond by worshiping with them. Maybe for some of you, God is saying, you know what? You need to feel my comfort a little bit. You've been walking in rigid religion. It's just rules and laws. Let His Holy Spirit come and wrap around you tonight and say, it's not about rules and laws. My comfort, my clothing of you, my paracletos around you is what you need to do this Christian walk. Maybe some of us have been a little bit boastful in the presence of God. And He wants to pull us back to that place where we would say, God, You are the sovereign one. You are all in all. I'd rather keep back on what I say and just... Understand your position with mine. So the team is going to lead us.
And you can respond in whatever way. If you want to stand and sing along, if you want to kneel and sing along. Let's take a moment to worship Almighty God with this picture in mind. And in that, we will find the fullness of our joy. Thank mm-hmm. you.